Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. DreamCloud is a luxury hybrid mattress made with premium materials at half the price. Every DreamCloud comes with $399 in accessories, plus an additional $200 off a 365-night trial, a forever warranty, and free shipping. Go to dreamcloudsleep.com today. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to uh, visit us online on all social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV, our radio website, xzoneradiotv.com, and of course, for the X-Zone Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Nicholas Parisi. He serves on the board of directors of the Rod Sterling Memorial Foundation, a charitable organization dedicated to preserving and honoring Rod Sterling's legacy. He is the author of the forthcoming Dimensions of Imagination, The Life, Work, and Mind of Rod Sterling, which is currently being considered by several publishers. Nick spent much of the past two decades as a professional vocalist. His most recent band, The Sonic Revelation, released four CDs, all of which are available via iTunes and other online sources. Uh, First of all, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And what is your fascination with Rod Sterling? Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um, first, I hate to do this to you, but I do have to correct you on one little thing, and this is something that uh, you know gets done in the crawl of uh, Rod Sterling fans. It is Sterling, not Sterling. Sterling, um, I'm sorry. There's, there's no T. Yeah, I'm sorry. And believe, and believe me, you're not the first. Um, throughout his career, uh, people constantly mis, uh, you know, called him Sterling by accident, spelled it Sterling, and but it's actually Rod Sterling. So, <laughs> so that's the first thing. But I'm sorry about that. But. Um, my fascination with Rod Sterling, I mean, it began with the Twilight Zone, probably the same way it did with everyone else. Uh, you know, um, when I was a kid watching the Twilight Zone, I was, you know, I was enthralled by it. I was hypnotized by it. And that's what started it. And basically, just over the years, I became more aware of everything else that Sterling had written uh, outside of the Twilight Zone. And just little by little, I just gathered information about all these other things. And I finally got to a point where I said, I just want to, I want to write a you know, I want to write a book that accounts for absolutely everything that he wrote, um, because there's so many books written about the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone, and for for good reason. But um, but hardly anyone has touched on his vast catalog outside the Twilight Zone. So, so I just went straight through his entire career and just wrote about every single show he wrote from 1950 all the way through his death in 1975, and it became a uh, a massive uh, undertaking, and um, it's finally done, so I'm, I'm very happy with it and can't, can't wait to get it out. Let me ask you, uh, what inspired Rod Serling to write the kind of stories that the Twilight Zone was best known for? Well, he was, you know, it's it's funny, you know, this is part of what the book is about, is that, you know, maybe some, some of your listeners may not know this, but Rod Serling was, he was the most prolific and the most honored writer in television before the Twilight Zone. 
He was um, he had won three consecutive Emmy Awards for dramatic writing in 1956, 57, 58, or technically 55, 56, 57. And Twilight Zone started in 59, so he had written just straight drama, you know, before the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. But he always had an interest in in fantasy and science fiction and and the occult and you know extra you know supernatural you know fiction and he really really wanted to do this so so he was more of just a fan and and twilight zone finally gave gave him the opportunity to to work in that genre so uh yeah so he he was able to kind of you know all these ideas that he had stirring in him for so many years that he couldn't get out on television he was able to finally do on the twilight zone so and he was able to approach the twilight zone from a you know, he was able to write allegorically. He was able to address certain social issues that got him into trouble in the earlier years. And now he was able to do it in the Twilight Zone in a fantasy and science fiction context and get into less trouble for, you know, doing it that way. So it kind of was, uh, you know, a multifaceted, uh, you know, purpose that he had in the, in the Twilight Zone. So tell me, why do you think, and I've just got under a minute before I have to go to my next break, why do you think that this Twilight Zone has passed the test of time. Well, this, I guess the simple answer is is that it's good. <laughs> you know, that's that's the simple answer. Yeah. It, was, it is a very well written, well produced, um, well directed, well acted show, uh, and quality does stand the test of time. But at the same time, it's also the fact that Rod Serling really was writing about timeless issues. Uh, he was not writing about gadgetry and about spaceships. Uh, it was always about the human beings inside those stories, and, and those stories last forever, regardless of what the, what the time period is. All right, stand by. You and I have to take our first break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Nicholas Parisi is our special guest, Exxon Nation. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Nick, and we'll also let you know how you can contact Nick and his website, where all the information that you'll need to further your knowledge as well as, you know, just find out more about this guy and the Twilight Zone on the other side of this break. Whatever you do, don't go away. We'll be right back. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Foundation focusing on evidence based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at 
HolisticCancerFoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? I'm Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, and on The Secret to Everything, we will merge the practical with open investigation into all realms of the mysterious. We will talk to cutting-edge alternative health practitioners, those who inspire and motivate you in business and life, and of course, we will share stories of the paranormal, conspiracy, and cryptozoology. You will transform because of the frequency I carry, the frequencies my guests carry. Life may never be the same after you listen to this program. For the secret to everything is for you, the listener. For those who desire more in every area of their lives and believe that it can still be found. Listen and discover thesecrettoeverything.com. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back, everyone. Nicholas Parisi is our special guest for this hour. We're talking about Rod Serling, you know, the guy from the Twilight Zone. Now, if you'd like to find out more about um, Rod Serling, you can visit www.rodserling.com and um, a Facebook page that has been put up by our guest this hour, facebook.com forward slash Rod Serling Dimensions. And Nicholas's music is available on iTunes. There you go. Okay, so what is your favorite episode or genre of Twilight Zone movie? Is it the extraterrestrials? Is it the mysteries? Is it the... Um... Well, I think, well, my my favorite genre of the Twilight Zone, and, and it's good that you put it that way, because the Twilight Zone does cover a lot of different areas mm-hmm. of, of imaginative storytelling. I mean, there are... There are ghost stories, there are horror stories, there are straight science fiction stories, there are, um, you know, all sorts of things. I guess my favorite type, though, is is the Rod Serling kind of heartfelt, uh, nostalgic stories. Um, he had a great nostalgia for his hometown of Binghamton, New York, mm-hmm. and it came out in his fiction and through the Twilight Zone and in plenty of other things uh, constantly. And one episode in particular, Walking Distance, uh, which starred Gig Young as a, you know, stressed out New York executive who just has to get out of the rat race, and he finds himself suddenly in his own in his old hometown, and he meets himself as a little boy. He's gone back in time. Uh, that episode is was probably well, I was going to say probably Serling's favorite, um, but it's uh, that's certainly one of my favorites. There's also another one that's kind of a companion piece to that one called A Stop at Willoughby which is the same kind of idea of a stressed uh, business executive who gets on a train every day to go home from work and he mm-hmm. dreams of a place called Willoughby. It's a turn-of-the-century town where he can just slow down and, you know, they, they call it a you know, town where he can slow down to a walk and live life full measure and, and uh, he finally at the end gets off at Willoughby and escapes his stressful life. Uh, those, those are my f- favorite of the genre, but if I had to pick one particular episode, strangely enough, it would not be a, uh, one that Rod Serling wrote. It was actually one that Charles Beaumont wrote. He was another uh, contributor to the series, and he wrote an episode called The Howling Man, which uh, I think was just one that really just um, really just grabbed me when I was a kid. It's about uh, a traveler in Europe who gets caught in a storm, and he takes shelter in a monastery, 
And that night he hears the he hears howling in the monastery and goes to follow where it's coming from. And it turns out that these monks, so to speak, have a what they consider to be the devil is, is trapped in a uh, they have him captured in a in a in a cell. And uh, he of course doesn't believe them, and he lets the the man out. And it turns out, of course, he is the devil, and he lets the devil out. And he spends the rest of his life dedicated to trying to trying to recapture the devil to make up for what he for what he did. Um, that episode just kills me. I've probably seen it 50 times and it's just, uh, you know, it really just, uh, it hypnotized me when I was a kid and I still, still love it to this day. Well, what do we know about Rod Serling and his beliefs on the paranormal? Well, he wasn't necessarily a believer, um, but he, you know, his, his widow, Carol Serling was asked this question often and I think she probably gave the best answer to it when, when asked that she said he wanted to believe. He sincerely wanted to believe. He wanted to believe that, you know, that we had been contacted by aliens and or, you know, that, you know, he wanted to believe in ESP. But he, did, he just he didn't have any practical experience with it. So he was skeptical. Uh, he w- was a practical guy. And he if he had had some evidence of it, some real hard evidence, he would have believed it. And and to some extent, uh, in the early 70s, he actually narrated um, a documentary called In Search of Ancient Astronauts that you might be aware of yeah um and you know based on the von daniken book and and then he also did the follow-up which was in search of ancient mysteries and he did a couple of other um ufo kind of uh documentaries but he um he did buy some of that theory the the ancient astronauts theory because he kind of bought the the evidence that was at least at least the evidence that was coming out at that time so he uh he enjoyed it he was interested in it and uh but he didn't really believe in it you know he had another funny reaction to that question he said he said you know i don't really necessarily believe the things that i write in the sense that i don't believe that there's actually going to be a ghost at the top of the stairs when i you know turn off the light but but at the same time if i go up into the attic i want the light on because <laughs> because if just in case ghosts do come they don't you know they'll come in the light so they don't trip down the stairs you know so so he uh, you know intellectually he didn't buy it but he did say hey you know there's something fit you know when i drive past a certain graveyard sure. you know i get the little fishing up my arm so he did believe even that kind of reaction to it. What do you think Rod Serling would say if he was around today with all the information that is accessible on the internet? Well, I think that the first thing he would say is he be, I think he would be tremendously disappointed at how he wasted. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he would be amazed at the capacity and the, and the potential of it and, and just, you know, just saddened by the way that we use it to share nonsense um, Rod Serling was a big believer in communication. He believed that communication was the key to everything. It was the key to, you know, you know, breaking down divides between people, between countries, between religions and races. And he believed in communicating. And I don't think we communicate enough on social media and, you know, other in other venues that, you know, to do the things that Rod Serling would think we are capable of doing now with this great technology. Um, he, he would use it, though. I've often said that uh, the Internet is the largest septic tank ever made by humans because there's more crap in it than there is anything else. I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. No. <laughs> What's your take on the paranormal, UFOs, things that go bump in the night? Are you a believer or are you a skeptic? Oh, I, I'm, def- I'm definitely a skeptic as well. Um, again, you know, similar to Serling, I have mm-hmm. no, you know, I've never seen a UFO. I never, you know, um, so I, I don't have any knowledge of it um, personally. Um, I'm open-minded to to evidence and that kind of thing, but I yeah no I'm definitely definitely am a skeptic. At the same time, I do believe in the um, the idea, the simple idea that you know scientists have been saying forever that hey this the universe is a gigantic place, an infinitely gigantic place. So the idea that we are alone in the universe is is kind of unlikely um, when you take into account all the you know area we're talking about. Sure. So so I do believe that, but you know I don't think we've actually been visited yet. That's that's for sure. What kind of inspiration do you think that uh, Rod Serling had on Gene Roddenberry when it came to the creation of Star Trek? Um, you know, I don't think he had much influence on him, but he, but they were friends. Uh, Roddenberry and Serling were were fairly close friends. In mm-hmm. fact, Roddenberry delivered one of Serling's eulogies in 1975 at his funeral in Los Angeles, and and Roddenberry certainly admired Serling, and it probably was mutual. Um, Star, Star Trek, of course, was you know more science fiction than than the Twilight Zone was, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, there were other shows, of course, there were the Outer Limits, you know, that was maybe a little bit closer to the Twilight Zone. But Roddenberry, um, 
you know, one thing Roddenberry, I think, did that Sterling tried to do, at least in the beginning, is that Roddenberry hired a lot of really good science fiction writers to write on that on the original Star Trek. I mean, he went out and got, you know, some of the writers that Rod Sterling had approached as well. I mean, um, Richard Matheson wrote for both Twilight Zone and Star Trek. Um, uh, George Clayton Johnson wrote the wrote the Man Trap, which was the original pilot or the second pilot for Star Trek. He also wrote several episodes of the Twilight Zone. So they shared a lot of writers and uh, in that way, but I don't think that Twilight Zone was a direct influence on Star Trek, though. Now, during the the research and the writing of your book, Dimensions of Imagination, what was the most startling information that just shocked you when you found it out about Rod Serling? Good or bad? Uh, yeah, that, that's that is a that is a good question. How how long do we have? <laughs> uh, we've got another forty minutes. Okay. <laughs> Right. Well, uh, shocking. I, I, I will be honest that I didn't find anything that was absolutely shocking because I had because I had I mean, I, I've devoured every scrap of information about Rod Serling for, for so long before I had written this book. So so nothing was particularly shocking. But I will give you one or you know, I'll give you a couple examples. Sure. One is that I discovered something that's going to be discussed in this book for the first time ever. And that is. The first time that Rod Serling ever tried to address the issue of racial pre- racial prejudice on television was in 1952, not in 1956, as most people um, who follow Rod Serling believe. You know, when he, I'm probably jumping ahead of myself, but Rod Serling got into a lot of trouble when he tried to dramatize. Uh, the Emmett Till case, and I know you're in Canada, maybe you're not so familiar with the Emmett Till case, but the Emmett Till case was a was a lynching issue, uh, incident in Mississippi in 1955, and Rod Serling desperately wanted to at least tr- tell a version of this story on television. He couldn't do it. The, the sponsors wouldn't let him do it. The network wouldn't let him do it, and uh, he ran into all sorts of problems, but what I discovered was he had actually written a script in 1952 that was aired only in Cincinnati, Ohio, on a show called The Storm that he, he worked on at the time. And it was about a, an, a Chinese-American couple who are essentially run out of town because they are Chinese-Americans. And, and it was unheard of to address something like that on television, be it local or national or whatever it was, in 1952. It was, um, you know, it was absolutely beyond the pale of what was being done on television at that time. And this is a script that no one has ever talked about in any publication, so I'm really happy to get that information out in this one. That was a surprise. Um, to give you one other example, I just mentioned uh, that Emmett Till case. Mm-hmm. The, the infamous script that Sterling wrote was called Noon on Doomsday. And anyone familiar with Sterling will know that, you know, has heard the story of Noon on Doomsday a million times because it's, it is the most direct conflict he had with sponsors and, and agencies and the network over the issue of censorship. Um, but again, one thing I found in this book that's going to be published for the first time is I, I located the very first draft of that particular script, which has not been discussed in any other publication. And it turns out that the very first draft of this script, before the network ever got a hold of it, is not particularly different than the one that aired. Um, they edited it, they forced some changes on them, but it was not significantly different. So the story of Noon on Doomsday and the changes that were made to it is not quite exactly what Serling and other sources have said all along. It was um, much different, and I, I spell it out very, very succinctly in the book, and that's something I think people are, readers are going to be shocked by, by reading it. Are there organizations like there are for Star Trekkie fans, uh, Trekkie conventions? Are there conventions for Rod Serling as well? Well, it's it's funny you ask that because I just had a, a meeting of the board of directors of the Rod Serling Memorial Foundation last week, and that is something that we have on the table now. We are planning a Rod Serling slash Twilight Zone convention uh, for, well, we're certainly planning one for October of 2019. It sounds like it's far away, but that is going to be the 60th anniversary of the Twilight Zone's debut in October wow. of 1959. So we're planning a big convention for October of 2019 in Binghamton, which is his hometown in New York. Um, but we are also planning a uh, another smaller event um, much earlier than that, possibly later this uh, this summer, actually. Uh, so if you want information about that, just visit www.rodserling.com, and we'll certainly have announcements on there. And these are going to be gatherings of yeah of Twilight Zone fans, maybe some people who you know are affiliated with the show in one way or another. And it's uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Really excited about it. And that's going to be in 2019, you were saying? 
Yeah, October 2019. But as I said, I think we're going to try and get something together that's mm-hmm. a little smaller, a little more casual, much earlier than that. Uh, so we're hoping to shoot for possibly this year. All right, stand by. I've got to take my news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Nicholas Parisi is our special guest this hour. And if you'd like to uh, join uh, Nicholas on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Rod Serling Dimensions. And you can uh, find uh, uh, Nicholas's music on iTunes uh, with the band Sonic Revolutions. Sonic Revolutions. And Nicholas and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget for all the other great programming we have available for you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, 24-7-365. Visit www.xzbn.net. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. 
Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. And welcome back. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Nicholas Parisi is our special guest of this hour. We're talking about Rod Serling. And if you'd like to find out more information about Rod Serling, here's a couple of uh, websites. RodSerling.com. That's R-O-D-S-E-R-L-I-N-G.com. And uh, if you'd like to get a hold of some of Nicholas's music on iTunes, it can be found right then and there. What are people saying in this generation, when they learn about Rod Serling and, and everything he's done? Well, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, as you, as you mentioned before, the Twilight Zone really has stood the test of time. And, mm. and we do find that, you know, the younger generation is aware of the Twilight Zone. It's one of the few shows of that era, one of the few black and white shows, that's for sure, that, you know, that this generation or the younger generation is at least aware of. Um, so that's a good thing. And, and they get it. You know, one of the things, one of the great things that, um, the town of Binghamton does, and, and, and again, I have to mention Binghamton because, you know, Sir Rod Serling really is Binghamton's favorite son. I mean, they, um, he's obviously the most famous resident and he paid so much tribute to the place that, you know, they couldn't help but, uh, reciprocate. So, so there's plenty of things in Binghamton, to, you know, honoring Rod Serling. And one of the things that they do is in the elementary school. They will have a, a Rod Serling day in the fifth grade. I think they call it the fifth uh, fifth dimension in the fifth grade, something mm. something like that. And they they show fifth graders episodes of the Twilight Zone and ask them to comment on the you know on the 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 meaning the you know the morals and the meanings of the episodes. And these kids get it. You know they they really they really understand it. I mean I'll give you an example. Sure. Um, you know one of the most famous episodes. Uh, it's called the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Um, this is an episode about a town that uh, you know an idyllic American suburb uh, on a given summer afternoon sees a meteor. They think it's a meteor pass overhead. And immediately after the meteor passes overhead, things start happening strangely in the, in the town. Their phones stop working. Their appliances stop working. Their cars stop running. Uh, suddenly a car will start for no reason and stop. The lights will go on and stop. And, and soon enough, they start to suspect each other. They start to suspect that maybe that meteor was actually uh, a spaceship and maybe one of them is an alien. And their suspicion of each other becomes paranoia and turns violent. And they essentially destroy themselves. And at the end of the episode, of course, you find out that, you know, there were aliens, uh, but they weren't here. They were up in a spaceship and they were watching us and they they discovered the best way to destroy us is to have us destroy ourselves uh, it's, um, by just messing with our machinery or whatever it may be and having us turn on each other. And they would ask the fifth graders, you know, who are the monsters in this episode? And fifth graders would invariably say, we are. We're the monsters. And, and so they, they, you know, they get it. You know, they, uh, so, you know, so the, the younger generation, I think, does get it. And of course, there are always talks about a new Twilight Zone series and a new Twilight Zone movie and you know, so that will make another, you know, another generation even more aware of it as well. What about Night Gallery? What was Serling's relationship to a show like that? Well, Night Gallery was essentially the last show that Serling did. And, and Night Gallery is, is, well, first of all, I'll, I'll say this. Night, Night Gallery consisted of uh, 99 segments. The episodes were, you know, the episodes were generally an hour long and they were broken up into either two or three or even sometimes four segments. So they were all various, various lengths. But Serling wrote 38 of the 99 segments. So he wrote a lot of it. I mean, he wrote well, well more than a third of the almost 40 percent of the of the show. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of a tragedy for Serling because he had no control over the show other than writing he and even his writing was sometimes tampered with and and edited and that kind of thing and he had no control over casting or directors or budget or anything like that so it's uh it became very quickly rod realized that this was not going to be the show he thought it would be um he thought it was going to be another twilight zone really uh although it was more horror than the twilight zone ever mm -hmm. was um but what happened was you know he didn't he didn't um, 
in, in, insist on having creative control of the series. And years afterward, people would constantly ask him, why didn't you insist on having creative control? And, and he would give lots of different answers for that. None of them were particularly honest, to tell you the truth, because the, the honest answer is he didn't want creative control of the show because he had been through the ringer on Twilight Zone. He had worked 16-hour days, six days a week for five years, and he never wanted to go through that again. So he was hoping to kind of have his cake and eat it too. He, he thought that Rod Serling's Night Gallery, which was the whole title, mm-hmm. it, had, it was his name on it. It was his name on it. He created it, so he thought he would have some prerogatives in terms of control of it. And the problem was that the, they hired a producer by the name of Jack Laird, and Jack Laird and Rod Serling just never saw eye to eye on anything from from day one. They just never hit it off personally or professionally, and they butted heads just constantly throughout the show. So Serling ended up with very little control of the series. And in my view, Serling wrote some brilliant, brilliant stuff for it. There are a couple of episodes he wrote that are just as good as anything he ever wrote. Um, one particular, The Messiah on Machgrid, it's called. It's a it's a Christmas slash Hanukkah fable uh, about an old Jewish man who is. He's visited by the angel of death, and he wants to stay alive for his grandson, and it's just a beautiful and beautifully written story. Um, so he wrote some great stuff for it, but it was a constant frustration for him because he just, just didn't have the control that he hoped that he would have on it. Sounds like a movie that Anthony Perkins and uh, I forget the name of the other. Anthony Perkins played the very prominent businessman, and the other person played the dark angel that had come to take anthony perkins but because there was a grandson involved Hmm. you know he was uh the angel of death allowed anthony perkins a little bit of a leeway and i can't Uh, remember to look that that one up and i hadn't heard of that one Mm -hmm. Hmm. what do you think based on based on the research you've done was the most the largest uh, contribution to humanity that Rod Serling made and why? Well, you know, Serling was, uh, you know, he, he was concerned. It's it's a, it's a gigantic question, you know, but Rod Serling actually was concerned with something like that. I mean, he believed that as a writer, it was his job to contribute to something to humanity. In fact, um, you know, Rod Serling went to Antioch college in, in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and Antioch college is a famously progressive college. And it was it, one of its first, or actually its first president was an educational reformer by the name of Horace Mann. And Horace Mann, his most famous quote was, be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. That was, that was his quote, and he, he said that to the graduating class of the first, the first Antioch graduating class, and shortly afterward he died. And, and that quote has been repeated to every graduating class ever since then. And Rod Serling believed in that. I mean, he, brought that he brought that into a Twilight Zone episode called Changing of the Guard, which is about a a college professor who doubts that he has made some contribution to humanity and he contemplates suicide because he hasn't. So, so yeah, so certainly took that seriously. And I think if anything, I mean, it's impossible not to watch almost anything that Rod Serling wrote Mm -hmm. and not just get the, get the keen sense that he cared about humanity greatly, deeply. Uh, He wanted so much better for us all. And, if there's anything that he contributed, it's just that idea of, of empathy, of of caring about your neighbor and caring about you know someone who doesn't have anything you think doesn't have anything in common with you. Um, this is just comes up constantly in his work, not just even in a, in a, in a racial uh, standpoint because he was very very disturbed by prejudice in all forms. Uh, but he just um, just that idea that we are all connected. We're all in this yeah. together, and and that is a contribution to humanity, no matter how you say it, no matter what venue it's in, what media it's in, or mm-hmm. or what what have you. By the way, the name of the movie is Meet Joe Black. And oh co- yes, yes, co- yes. Yeah, well, that Brad was remade not too long yeah. ago. Right, right. Um, what kind of family man was Rod Serling? Well, he he has two daughters. Who are still around? Anne Serling is his youngest daughter. She wrote, I should plug her book because she wrote a memoir called As I Knew Him, My Dad Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful memoir, a beautifully written piece about growing up with, with her dad and what he was like. And uh, he was married to the same woman for 25 years. He met Carol Serling at, at Antioch College when they were both students there. And they were married till the day he died. And, uh, you know, he was a you know, if you read Anne's book, you'll certainly get a picture of it, that he was, you know, he was certainly a, an incredibly busy man, uh, you know, working on all these shows and doing, you know, doing 
all this stuff. I mean, he didn't just write. He was doing commercials and voiceovers and and uh, producing and everything else. So he was incredibly you know busy. But um, but at the same time, he loved his daughters. He loved um, he loved animals. He loved dogs. He was a big big dog guy. I mean, he you know he they always had dogs in the family. And um, yeah, he uh, listen. He loved his family, and uh, you know. Uh, that that's obvious again from reading Anne's book. You you could see the the uh, you know the dedication that was there. Although Rod Serling is best known for The Twilight Zone, what other books did he write, and what are the topics of those books? Well, um, well, in terms of books, I mean, he. It's funny you you mentioned that because most people they do say, you know, why didn't he write any books? Well, he did write some sure books. He, he wrote. His first book was a collection of scripts called Patterns, and that was, um, you know, named after his first breakthrough success, Patterns, um, which was an episode of Craft Theater in 1955 that literally made him a star overnight. It's um, it's hard to describe now what that particular script did for him. Um, you would think I was exaggerating if I if I told you, but it's, but back in 1955, in the days of live television, this was. It was like a Broadway play opening to rave reviews and then never being seen again because it was live TV. And, you know, so the days afterward, people were raving about this play, Patterns, uh, and to the point where they actually had to re-perform this play a couple months later. Mm. Uh, and that was unprecedented in live television. To get the same cast together to re-perform a play on TV was unprecedented. And that's how that's what the reaction to the show was. And, and Sterling said, you know, after one second after that play went off the air, my phone started ringing and it never stopped. You know, so um, so that's, you know, the first book. And then, the, the, you know, he wrote a, a book called The Season to be Wary, which is the first, um, the only book of actual original fiction he ever wrote. Um, that's three long, short stories in that one book. And that was used as the basis for the Night Gallery pilot movie. Um, but he wrote so much else out of the Twilight Zone that that is one of the reasons why I wrote this book is that I wanted to, you know, maybe shed some light on some mm-hmm. of these things. Uh, you know, Requiem for Heavyweight was his favorite. Um, that is uh, was made into a feature film starring Anthony Quinn, and that was originally a Playhouse 90 episode uh, starring Jack Palance. Uh, he wrote a, a, a script called The Rack. Um, the movie version starred Paul Newman. He co-wrote Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, but he co-wrote wow. that original screenplay uh, based on the novel, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, were, there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other stuff outside of the Twilight Zone that he wrote that, uh, that people aren't necessarily aware of that I hope to you know, shed some light on in, in this book. You and I have to take our, new, our final break for this uh, segment. First of all, Nick, thanks so much for coming on and, uh, no, and sharing, sharing uh, Rod Serling with the world tonight. When we come back, I'd like to talk about you, your book, and your aspirations. How's that sound? Sounds great. (laughs) All right, Exxon Nation, Nick Parisi is our special guest. Uh, For more information on Rod Serling and the Rod Serling Foundation, www.rodserling.com. And Nick Parisi's uh, music can be found on iTunes, just in the search engine on the top of the page. Just type in Nick Parisi. And Nick and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, if you'd like to get the app that will allow you to, you know, take total control of all your audio, your video, pictures, so much more, just visit www.123readytv.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. 
They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Alexo Nation, tonight is one of those nights where you learn from a guest. Well, we learn a lot of things from all our guests, but this one here is 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 telling us so many things about Rod Serling that very few people really know. His name is Nick Parisi. He's the author of a new book that is coming out entitled Dimensions of Imagination, The Life, Work, and Mind of Rod Serling. Now, for information about the book, please visit his Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Rod Serling Dimensions. Uh, for more information on the Rod Serling Foundation, rodserling.com, and Nick's music can be found on iTunes. Nick, thanks very much for joining us. Um, but let's talk about your book. When did you get the idea? 
Well, it, it took about four years to write, so I guess I got the idea about mm, almost five years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it was about five years ago. And I, I think what sparked the idea originally was, you know, like I said earlier, I was I was looking into all of these different lesser known shows that Serling mm-hmm. had written. And I just wanted to get information on them. Really, I started very. This started with a very, um, you know, modest goal. I just yeah. really wanted to gather information about all these particular shows, meaning, you know, correct titles, correct air dates, uh, cast, director, that kind of stuff, and 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 a, and a correct synopsis. One of the things that I found was in other books. You know, they would always mention titles of Serling, of things Serling wrote, and they would, you know, mention a quick one-line synopsis of the story, and they were often wrong, um, as I, I found. You know, so so I wanted to get everything correct. That was the first thing, and I was co- also collecting um, videos because, you know, this again, this may be something that your listeners may not realize, but you know, a lot of Serling's early um, television work was done in the days of live television, and in the days of live television. These shows often weren't preserved. They were, you know, performed live, and that's it. They weren't rerun. They weren't, you know, sometimes they, I mean, they weren't preserved, or if they were preserved mm-hmm. uh, by kinescope process, and this is that is the, the process of they would point a movie camera at the monitor, at the TV monitor, to record what's coming through on the TV. And then generally they would take that kinescope, they called it, and they would send it, say, to California, you know, to the other coast to show on show on the West Coast. And after that, they would throw it out. You know, they would they would throw it out, or they would or they would you know put it in a warehouse, and then years later they would throw it out because they had to make room for other other films. So so what I was finding was a lot of Serling's early work is just sadly no no longer available. Um, so what I wanted to do was one thing was to just find out what is available, what still exists, what mm-hmm. doesn't exist, what can I get my hands on, and what can I get my hands on. So I started that as almost like a cataloging thing of all right, you know, where where certain films are located, um, what can be what's been released commercially, what hasn't been released commercially, and then you know, and then it just grew exponentially from there because as soon as I started to do that, I said, you know what, I can't write a book about Rod Serling that is this superficial. I have to del- delve into this stuff. So. So the book ended up being kind of part biography, part reference guide, part literary analysis of all the stuff, everything that Rod Serling ever wrote. And he wrote, you know, Rod Serling was the most, almost certainly the most prolific writer in television history. He had well over 250 scripts produced on television. Uh, 92 of them were on The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was 156 episodes. Rod Serling wrote 92 of them, which is ridiculous. It's it's a, it's a, just an insane number. Uh, he wrote 38 segments of Night Gallery, so that's um, 120 right there. So do the math. He wrote at least 130 things outside of those two shows. So I went through all of that stuff and you know ended up with this you know with uh, what I think is a very cohesive narrative of Serling's life and creative life through his work all the way through and it was um you know watching all this stuff. and one thing I did was I watched every single thing that still exists anything that Rod Serling wrote that exists I watched so I I was able to watch this stuff at the Paley Center for Media in New York City they have a bunch of un- otherwise un- un- unavailable uh, shows I watched them there. I watched some things at UCLA at the Film Archive in UCLA. Um, a lot of the stuff I collected on my own of uh, you know old you know public domain kind of kind of shows that I have. Uh, and I watched. So I think I ended up counting. I think I watched 215 uh, different shows. That's a lot of watching. Yeah, it's a lot of watching. But that was the most fun part of, of doing this, of course. You know, so so that was that was great. And well, it let was me... just um, it ended, It was a labor of love. It really was because I just. Um, you know, I, I so admire the man and his work. So it really was a fun thing to do. All right. Now, what was the hardest part for you about writing this book? Oh, well, the hardest part. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Okay. One is that I had mentioned. I mentioned earlier that when Rod Serling graduated from college in Ohio, the first real dramatic writing that he did was for a series called called The Storm. Excuse me. Um, and the storm was shown only in Cincinnati, and it is very, very hard to get information about this show. It ran for from May of 51 until July of, until June or July of 52, 
And just getting the dates and and titles of these episodes was was a, was a, was hard. It was difficult to track these things down. I mean, the scripts weren't in, in the archives. Um, I mean, I went to Serling's archives. I'll talk about that. But but it was very hard to to track down all that information. And, and I'm very happy that I was able to essentially get, you know, uh, at least all the episodes, all the titles, all the dates, and um, you know, most of the synopses for those episodes. So that was really really hard. Uh, the other thing that was hard was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that whole Noon on Doomsday story. When I first uncovered this idea that this, the fact that this original script really wasn't quite as different from the broadcast version as, as maybe Serling made it out to be, I had to really, really be careful about how I told that story because it just, it didn't jive and it's such a key part of Serling's legend that I wanted to make sure I got it right, and I and I think I did. Uh, so that was that was pretty difficult as well. Did any of the members of the Serling family help you at any part of the uh, the journey writing your book? Um, I've thankfully become uh, close friends with Anne Serling, um, his daughter, and um, she helped me only in the sense of encouraging me and uh, and reading some some things and you know and checking some facts here and there. Uh, but otherwise, no. I mean, that that was really the only involvement. And um, you know, she and her husband Doug have been um, kind of my biggest cheerleaders on this <laughs> from the moment that I approached them with it. And so, yeah, they, that's and that alone is is a big help. I mean, you you sometimes need somebody who's really just just tells you sure. how how much they like what you're doing and encourages you to do it. So they they help me tremendously. How close are you to getting your book published? I think very close. I've, it's uh, just, it's been like a kind of a, rain, it doesn't rain, but it pours kind of thing. Just this last week, it's it like uh, been a flurry of back and forth with different publishers. So I think I'm going to have some good news, you know, really, really soon. Uh, I will post it on my Facebook page for sure. And I really do think that's going to be within the next couple of weeks. After people read your book about the life of Rod Serling, what would you like them to leave with? What is the the most important part of your book that you want the public to remember? Well, I guess well, the first most obvious thing would be just the simple, idea, simple fact that Rod Serling was more than The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. He was a lot more than The Twilight Zone. He wrote a lot more. He said a lot more. He was just uh, he he was a tremendous writer, and he he was more than than that particular show. I guess that would be the first thing. And the second thing is, I hope that they get a, a, a sense of what a good guy this was. You know, um, I can tell you, I, I you know, I went through. Certainly, has several archives around the country, and some of them are just filled with correspondence and letters and everything. And I, I feel like, you know, I, I essentially went through Rod Serling's dirty laundry, and I and wow. I came back admiring him even more. And so, when you can do that and say, you know, I came out saying this, you know, I admire this guy even more than I did when I started this, that's saying something. So I hope you know people get that admiration is secondhand from reading my book. So what did it feel like reading a letter that was for Rod Serling? Sometimes it was surreal. Sometimes it really was. Sometimes I did get the goosebumps, you know, I really did. I'll give you another example of that. Sure. There's another thing that people don't know, and I, I talk about in the book, is Rod Serling tried several times, several times, to re redo the Twilight Zone. He wanted to continue the Twilight Zone. He really did. As worn out and beat and tired he was of the whole rigmarole and the whole TV business, he wanted to continue to do it. And I found one particular letter as late as 1969. So this is this is five years after the Twilight Zone was canceled. 1969, he wrote a letter to someone at CBS and it was about something completely different, completely mm-hmm. different. But in the middle of the letter, he digresses and he just says, and I hope I can use just a little bit of the profanity. He said, "What the hell? What the hell ever happened to my one-hour Twilight Zone series? Yeah. Now that now that I've been out of the, the business for so long, I want to get back and get the get the band back together, and uh, or get the team back together." So I I read that, and I I tell you, I did. I got the goosebumps because that was like getting the band back together. I mean, to think that Rod Sterling could have done the Twilight Zone again in 1969 is just something that any Twilight Zone fan just would grieve that he wasn't able to do it again. But, but know, if, just, if there are yeah. as many fans as, as you believe they are, why was the series canceled? Well, at the time, um, well, the series, I mean, at the time, believe it or not, five years for a series at that time was, mm-hmm. it, was, was a pretty long run. Five years. I mean, there were shows like you know Gunsmoke that ran forever and ever, sure. Bonanza or something. But, but five years for the Twilight Zone was a pretty long time. And Rod, as I said, Rod Serling was, he was burnt out creatively and physically and emotionally and mentally. He really was. And and the fifth season of the Twilight Zone certainly is the worst of the five seasons. So so it probably was time. You know, it was time for it to to go. But at the same time, he just he 
wanted to hold on to it. I mean, he's if you read what he said, of course, he always says it was a mutual decision and I was fine with it going, and he was, but if someone had offered him a sixth season somewhere, if another network or whatever, he would have done it. He would have jumped on it because he, he really did want to continue it. Uh, so it just died kind of a natural, natural causes, I think. Hey, listen, it's time for you and I to say so long for now, but do me a favor. When your book comes out, get a hold of us. We'll get you back on. I will, Rob. Thank you so much. Oh, don't go yet because I'd like you to tell our listeners where they can get all the information about you and promote your website as well as the uh, where they can find your iTunes. I appreciate that. My my website for the book is the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Rod Serling Dimensions, one word. And you can find information about Rod Serling, the book, and everything else there. Uh, the Rod Serling Memorial Foundation can be found at rodserling.com. And uh, if you're interested in the music, it's uh, it's you know it's heavy rock. Um, the band is called The Sonic Revolution, and you can check that out at iTunes.com. Just type in The Sonic Revolution, and you'll find any of our four CDs on there, and, uh, and that'll be great. Listen, thanks so much for sharing your time with us, Nick. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet back here, not in the Twilight Zone, but in the Act Zone. Take care, Nick. Thanks, Rob. Bye-bye. I'll be back on the other side of this news break as we continue here in the Act Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 